Before we look at the word, let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would work in us by your spirit. We pray that your, your word today would give us hope. Father, we thank you that you speak to us. You speak to us words of life, words of hope through your son Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever seen this poster before? This poster? Hope was the major theme of Barack Obama's campaign back in 2008. Hope. People hoped for a better future with Obama. Hoped for better jobs. Hoped for greater peace at home and abroad. Hoped for better lives. The impression that I get, though, from what I hear, is that for many people, Obama hasn't lived up to this poster. And one of those people is the man who actually designed this poster himself, a man called Shepard Ferry. He says that his hopes in Obama have been dashed. I'll quote from a CNN article about him. When Shepard Ferry was asked if Obama lived up to his hope poster, he responded, not even close. He said, there have been a lot of things that he's compromised on. And he's in a position where your actions are largely dictated by things out of your control. You see, for this guy, and for perhaps a lot of Americans, Obama has turned out to be false hope, in a way. They think that he's compromised. They see that there are things that are out of his control. So their hope in him just kind of fades away. If you hope in a person, they need to be able to deliver on promises, don't they? They can't compromise on those promises and they need to be in control. A hope needs a solid foundation and what you hope in needs to be steadfast. And this is all the more true when it comes to the most serious things in life. And what could be more serious than the question of your eternal fate? Where will you go after you die? Where is your hope then? To have hope in the face of death, well, that hope would need an unshakable foundation, wouldn't it? Unshakable. Well, the writer of Lamentations certainly needed a solid hope. He had experienced absolute devastation. And yet, today we'll see, he's still got a message of hope for us. He's got a foundation for us, for hope. So let's have a look. You'll need a Bible open at Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to read all the way back through that. Lamentations chapter 3. But first, let's recap what's happening Jerusalem has been punished for sin. God said to his people long ago, obey me and live, or disobey me and be punished. But the people rejected God. They followed other gods. God patiently put up with it for years and years and years. But the people wouldn't turn back, and God's patience came to an end. So God punished them, and punished their sin by sending the Babylonians to attack them. 
And this attack was devastating. And so the book of Lamentations is a cry of sorrow over this devastation of God's special city, Jerusalem. Lamentations chapter 3 is the third of five poems in the book. And this poem is one with four parts, four parts. In the first part, we meet our narrator. And this, this guy was smack bang right in the middle of this destruction of Jerusalem. He experienced God's judgment. It's almost like he is Jerusalem, in a sense. We see in the first part of the poem that this judgment has brought the man terrible suffering, terrible suffering. But not just any suffering, and this is the most terrifying part of it, this suffering is at the hand of God himself. Look with me at Lamentations chapter 3 and verses 1 to 3. Lamentations 3, 1 to 3. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. And it keeps going like this. God's punishment presses down on him and closes over him. It's claustrophobic reading this. He's trapped and he's attacked. God is a warrior shooting him full of arrows. God is a wild animal pouncing on him, getting his claws into him. Read verses 4 to 13. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry, call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without hope. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. What a terrible picture. God's fist has come down on the man. And he feels like he has nothing left. No friends, no peace, nothing to enjoy. Life is empty of the good things and full of the bad. Life is bitter. It's like drinking gall or bile. Life is like, it's like eating gravel. And all hope seems lost. With, with God against him, what is left? He says in verses 14 to 18, I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. All he hoped for has vanished. Happiness, health, safety, it's all been turned upside down. God has given him sorrow and sickness 
and violence. God's punishment has fallen on Jerusalem and this man, like Jerusalem, just feels empty. That's part one of the poem. Our narrator remembers, he remembers all the hardship, all the hardship God has brought down on him. And yet there's something else in his mind as well. Incredibly, all hope is not lost, even in this darkness. Because in the second part, the man's mind moves to something else. He thinks about who God is. Yes, God punishes, but that's not all. Into the man's mind comes this one great truth about God, one truth that means that he can hold on, not give up. God is a God of great, unending love. His compassion goes on and on. He is He is faithful to his people. And because this is what God is like, he has hope. Even though punishment comes down. Look at this hope in verses 19 to 23. Verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet... This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We can feel the man's shoulders lift as he remembers God's love. He can sit. He can sit and wait patiently and wait for God to save him. In verses 24 to 27, he says this. Have a look. Verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This man has a clear view of God's character, doesn't he? Love, compassion, faithfulness. He can trust this God even during punishment for sin. And the man is, is really honest about the punishment, isn't he? Brutally honest. And he says in the next part, you should just take the punishment. You've got to take it. Read verse 27 with me. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. That's a confronting image. Just take God's punishment. How can he say that and still have hope? It's because judgment isn't God's final word. God does not willingly bring devastation on his people. That's not where he starts and it's not where he's going to end. 
He, God starts by offering good friendship with him. And, and, and affliction, well, that's not where he will finish with his people. He will not reject them forever. Look at verses 31 to 33 for this great promise. For men are not cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. That's the second part. Incredible, incredible, isn't it? There is hope. Judgment is not the end. There is something to hold on to. And it's this. God's love is the man's great and only hope. God's love. And God's love means that the narrator can turn to those around him in Jerusalem and say to the rest of the people, turn to God, turn to God. He calls on Jerusalem in the third part of the poem. But first he reminds them, he reminds them that God sees sin. You can't hide it. God is in, the char- in charge of the universe and he deals out punishment for sin. He deals out punishment, not just the good stuff. And that's the way it should be. So, no one can complain when they're punished for, punished for their sins. And, and Jerusalem, they can't complain about their punishment. Let's read this in verse 34 to 39. Verse 34. To crush underfoot all the prisoners in the land, to deny a man his rights before the Most High, to deprive a man of justice, would not the Lord see such things? Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord had not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should any living man complain when punished for his sins? So our man, he he calls for the people to return to God and confess. To admit their suffering is a punishment for their sins. He wants them to, to get real with God, to be honest with God. And they do that in verses 40 to 47. Read it again. Verse 40 to 47. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain without pity. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. You have made us scum and refuse among the nations. All our enemies have opened their mouths wide against us. We have suffered terror and pitfalls, ruin and destruction. Even as the narrator calls out with his people, he's overwhelmed with grief. He has hope, but the grief remains. But still he points us back to the God, the God who loves us, the God of hope. God might look on this situation and act. See there in verse 48. Verse 48. 
Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. My eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. What I see brings grief to my soul because of all the women of my city. Even in his grief, the narrator is calling people to trust God. Trust God because he can look down and see their plight. He can act. And so God's love is the people's great and only hope. Their great and only hope. Well, the man has felt God's punishment. He has found hope in God's love. He has called the rest of the people to return to God And now in the fourth part of the poem, he turns his eyes towards his enemies and he calls for justice. Because ultimately, God won't put up with anybody's sin. So the man's enemies are in the firing line too. The narrator, he he recounts a time when his enemies tried to kill him without cause. And if you remember the prophet, prophet Jeremiah His experience sounds very similar to this. Have a look at at verse 52. Those who were my enemies without cause hunted me like a bird. They tried to end my life in a pit and threw stones at me. The waters closed over my head and I thought I was about to be cut off. But the man calls on God and God hears. God displays his faithful love. God comes near and says... Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But God also shows that he is a God of justice. And with that God on his side, the man is very bold. He calls down destruction on his enemies. He's got God fighting in his corner. God, the the heavyweight champion of the universe, fighting in his corner. So he really lets them have it. Let's read again the, the last section. Of the lament, verses 55 to 66. Verse 55. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you, and you said, Do not fear. O Lord, you took up my case. You redeemed my life. You have seen, O Lord, the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. You have seen the depth of their vengeance, all their plots against me. O Lord, you have heard their insults, all their plots against me, what my enemies whisper and mutter against me all day long. Look at them. Sitting or standing, they mock me in their songs. Pay them back what they deserve, O Lord, for what their hands have done. Put a veil over their hearts and may your curse be on them. Pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Well, isn't Lamentations 3 a roller coaster? From the depths of despair to new hope in parts 1 and 2, from, from humble repentance to, to this here, calling down judgment on enemies. But shining through throughout all of it is God's great love, his compassion that won't run out. So even here, in the darkest part of this man's life, 
God's love is his foundation. He clings to that love. He trusts that God will stick with him. All he can see around him is horror, horror in Jerusalem. But even then he resolves to wait quietly for God. He doesn't turn away from God, he turns towards him. And he calls others to join in. He calls out, he calls out to, to the God of justice. All this because God's love is his great and only hope. What's your reaction as you ride on this roller coaster with the man? Can you relate to him? Can you identify? For him, God's love was his unshakable foundation, foundation for hope. Even in the face of, of punishment for sin, for him, God wasn't false hope. Could you say that? That God's love is my only hope, even in the face of punishment. You know, sometimes I have a problem with this. Sometimes I'm tempted to doubt God's love and to therefore doubt that it's my foundation, that it's my hope. You know, and I think this doubt comes back to my problem with sin. Sometimes I think that sin is not that bad. It's not that bad. I, I, I can't quite see how the average person should be eternally punished just for the way they live, the way they live their own life. The, the Bible says that sin is an attitude to God that says, no thanks God, I'll run my life my way. I mean, is that really so bad? And sometimes it's not just what I think, it's, it's how I act, that I think it's okay for me to occasionally turn my back on God, but, but it doesn't make me that bad. At worst, I'm, I'm just making a few small mistakes. When I'm being greedy or angry, I think it's justified. That's, that's, that's how I should act. It's entirely appropriate. I think that sin isn't that serious. But if I think that, I haven't been paying attention to Lamentations chapter 3, have I? See the affliction of this man. He is crushed trapped, mangled by God. God doesn't think that sin is just a small mistake. It's a rejection of the perfectly good and loving creator. God's anger at sin is, is poured out on Jerusalem and poured out on this man. And the man never says that God is wrong. He takes the punishment. Friends, that's because sin is blacker than black and should be punished by God. God punished Jerusalem in history, but the Bible says that everybody's sin deserves eternal punishment. Now, if that's true, then my small mistakes 
are a big problem. I'm in the firing line. God should shoot me with his arrows. He should drag me from the path and mangle me. I'm in deep. I deserve to be judged by God. I have a problem. I need a solution. Friends, we need to feel the problem of our sin. Or we'll never see the hope that God offers. Because God's judgment isn't the end, is it? It's incredible that that this man, knowing firsthand the punishment for sin, could still hold on to God's love. He could could sit there and, and think back through his history, his people's history. He could think back to God saving them from Egypt. He could think back to the years and years of God's patience with them. And this man could look forward. He looked forward to the promise of God's continuing love. But friends, we have something so much more. We are living now in the future that this man could only hope for. We live in a time when God's love has been demonstrated once for all. We live in a time when the eternal solution to sin has been revealed. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love. He shows it for all to see when Jesus dies. When we see Jesus die on the cross, it's like we're seeing God's love fully displayed in ultra-high definition, 3D, surround sound. It's plain for all to see that out of compassion, God gives up his son. It's obvious Jesus has willingly and lovingly stepped into the firing line of God's wrath and taken it. Instead of me, he's taken the eternal punishment that I deserve instead. He's afflicted. I can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. You don't have to fear eternal punishment all because God loves us and sent Jesus. And the man of Lamentations, his response is to call the people around him to trust God when he realises God's love. Friends, God's love has been demonstrated to us. How much more should we trust God? His love is unshakable. That should be our, our only hope. He's demonstrated once for all that he will stick with me and stick with you. He's, he's not going to compromise on his promises. He, he actually is in control. He's in control of your future. He's not false hope. So trust him. This is all something that those in Lamentations could only look forward to. Now, this side of Jesus, we can say with even more passion, God's unfailing love is truly great. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, because you have dealt with our sin. Will you join in 
in saying that. We're going to sing about it in just a moment. But will you join in with your life? First, remember, we have to be convinced that God's judgment is coming our way without Jesus. Only then will you see the depth of God's faithful love to us in Jesus. Now, if, if God's love has struck you this morning in a new way, or if you, if you want to take hold of that, that love, God's love in Jesus, and put your trust in him, can I encourage you to not wait? Put your trust in him today. You can pray a simple prayer to God saying, help me to trust you. Please forgive me for my sin. Help me to trust Jesus. And please share that with someone here. Share it with us, someone who, who's with you today. Friends, if we are trusting in Jesus, we must remember what we've been saved from. That will drive our hope when we remember God's love in Jesus. It will help us to focus on God's love because if we look anywhere else for hope, well, that's just going to be t- turn out to be false hope, isn't it? The hope of political posters. Friends, God's love in Jesus is our great and only hope. When we face the blackness of sin, there is nowhere else to turn. God's love, God's love is unshakable. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, great is your faithful love. We praise you today and give you thanks for your love. Thank you for Jesus, that he shows your love to us so clearly. Thank you that on the cross, he has dealt with the problem of sin and punishment. Father, thank you that on the cross, Jesus was our man of affliction, that he was afflicted instead of us. Father, please help us to trust you. Please help us to trust your love. We pray that that would drive us to return to you even when we sin, particularly when we sin. We pray that we would trust that you will forgive us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to celebrate your love and to remember it every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.